Let's pray. Gracious God, as we open ourselves to your word, bring new life within us. Touch our hearts, open our minds, that we may hear your word as a reflection of your sacred word and through my words. Bless this time today to your service and to bear much fruit for your kingdom in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we used the same first reading today, and I did that deliberately because uh, I think our theme we started last week, living for the praise of God's glory, is such an important theme. And I wanted to continue that today. And as we've gone into lockdown, I think it's even more important that we focus on how we're living our lives and what our lives are being lived for. So our reading from Ephesians, the beginning of the chapter, the first chapter of Ephesians, the beginning of the book, which we heard last week and we've heard again this morning, reminds us that you and I exist for the praise of God's glory. Now, we talked last week a bit about worship and reconnecting with the wow factor that God has, of what God has done and continues to do for us and through Christ and in the Spirit. And I hope that you've been consciously thinking about that during the week, the wow factor of life. And we talked about worship being such an important aspect of our living to the praise of God's glory. We find, however, that as we work our way rather quickly through these few weeks in our lectionary, we're going through Ephesians, there are dozens and dozens of verses about how we are to live each day, not just about praise and worship in the sense that we think about it. Now, that doesn't downplay the importance of worship. It's very important. It's a priority in our lives. But it does remind us that it's it's not just about singing in church or praying or reading our Bible. It's about it's a reminder to us that we are to exist. We actually exist for the praise of God's glory. It's not something we do. It's who we are. We're called and we're privileged to glorify God, not just in singing and praying, but in just doing things or not just doing things, sorry, that we identify as spiritual or religious, if you like, but also in every part of our life, in every action, in every thought, in every feeling. Just think how different our life might be if we began to think of glorifying God as the core purpose of everything. The core purpose of everything. Well, I want to talk today about symbiosis and some of you are going what on earth is that symbiosis it's not that big a deal really well it is a big deal but it's not a big concept it's a it's a just a word we don't understand possibly symbiosis means that two things live in a mutually advantageous relationship with one another both in some way depend on the other and i've got two examples here for us that you should be able to see up on the screen one at a time here. The first one is lactobacillus. That's what it looks like under a microscope. Lactobacillus, which lives in the human gut. 
and it balances the good bacteria and prevents the bad bacteria from overtaking the digestive tract. And we know what it's like when we've had a gastric bug and we feel really run down and horrible. We take probiotics. That's essentially what we're doing is replacing the lactobacillus in our gut so that it becomes more balanced and more healthy. And this um, organism lives inside us quite happily and we live actually a lot better when we have it living inside of us. The second one's probably a bit more appealing to us. Um, we all know Nemo, and actually we're very fortunate to have one of our parishioners, Kingsley. His son is actually the designer of the character of Nemo. Uh, it was very popular a number of years ago with Pixar. Nemo, of course, is a clownfish, that orange and white clownfish. And there's a picture up here of a clownfish and a sea anemone. Sea anemones are usually poisonous to any fish. Anyone, any fish that comes into contact with a sea anemone usually dies because fish that touch the tentacles of the sea anemone are stung, paralysed and then eaten. But for some reason, the anemone makes an exception for clownfish. Clownfish can swim around in complete safety among the waving tentacles of the anemone, as we can see here. Now, the advantage of this for the clownfish is quite obvious. As long as it's amongst the tentacles of the anemone, it's safe from other predators because no one else can take the risk of coming in to get them. And they're really cute to watch. At the slightest threat of danger, the clownfish dive into the anemone and you see them wriggling in like a bit like me on a, on a cold winter's morning, snuggling into my doona, really at home there and comfortable, safe. Well, what the anemone gets out of the relationship is not so obvious. In fact, scientists are not 100% sure. There's two really good working theories here and both have a fair bit of evidence, but we're really not quite sure whether it's one or both or either. Firstly, it's understood that the clownfish often drop bits of food they've gathered, that they've taken from elsewhere. They bring it back into the anemone and drop it and that feeds the anemone. But the second theory is that clownfish may at times deliberately or, or unawareably lure other fish into the reach of the anemone and help it to catch its own live food. That's on the best interests of the clownfish that the anemone eats something else and not them. Though we're not sure. Scientists are in a bit of doubt as to which is, um, which is right. But we do know that this mutually beneficial relationship between the clownfish and the anemone is a pretty powerful one. They're both getting something out of it. Symbiosis. Well, I want to explore with you this morning the possibility that our relationship with God is a bit like that. We're always very familiar with thinking about the things that God does for us and the ways in which we depend on God. And we're going to look at a few of those things in a moment from our reading. But I think this reading from Ephesians also raises the possibility that God needs us too. As we spoke about last week, the obvious theme in this reading is all the things we have to praise God for. And there are so many, the ways in which we benefit from our relationship with God. And therefore, we owe God a debt of gratitude. He is worth ship. He is worth 
our worship, our acknowledgement, our love, our focus, our adoration. But this passage focuses exclusively on all the great things that God's done. God is actually the subject of the verb in every verse. We often don't pick these things up in English. We don't do anything in this account. It's all God's work. Now, the passage doesn't say that we should be doing anything. It says it just praises God for all the things that God has done and is doing for us. And that is good. That is right. But our relationship with God's a bit like that. We can become accustomed to thinking always about the things that God does for us and the ways in which we depend on God. And that's right and proper. But I think there's a, something being raised here in this reading that indicates that God needs us too. I'm not going to get into the theology of God needing us or wanting us. I'm just going to focus on this. But we can be a bit more than a bit resistant to this sort of understanding because we live in a do-it-yourself society. You've only got to walk into any bookshop and have a look at the do-it-yourself or the self-help sections and you'll know what I mean. I actually walked into our local bookshop last week and I was uh, quite amused at the, the section that's around self-help, new age, spirituality, change your life, all of those things. It's quite large, this section. And everyone's got an understanding of how you can just do it for yourself. And marketers have worked out that there's a lot of money to be made into tapping into people's desire for independence and self-reliance. We don't like to have to depend on someone else to do anything for us, especially if it's all one way and they don't need anything from us. So this first passage in Ephesians that we've heard no matter how excited and enthusiastic it is, it may not make us entirely comfortable. But we're going to have a look at it and see what God has done for us. Firstly, we're told that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Then we're told that God has chosen us to be holy and blameless in love. In Christ, we have redemption and forgiveness according to the riches of grace lavished on us by God. And if that's not enough, God gives us a share in the future, an inheritance, a promised place of importance in the fulfilling of God's intention for the whole of creation. We are an integral part of God's plan for the world. And a kind of a down payment or a first taste, if you like, of this future. We're given the presence of the Holy Spirit of God here and now. We don't have to wait. And just as we will eventually enjoy the unimpeded presence of God. So we can now already experience the reality of the presence of God. What an amazing gift. This, says Paul, is the guarantee of our full restoration as God's people. And this is all God's doing. Well, I doubt that many of us have ever thought of ourselves being like a clownfish before. 
but I encourage us to just try and do that a little bit this morning. Because just as the clownfish dives for safety into the protective arms of the anemone, you and I can dive for safety into the loving and protective arms of God who lavishes graciously his love on us. But like the anemone, God needs us too and will suffer if we remove ourselves from that relationship. God has given you, God has given me, God's given every one of us an intimate relationship with the giver of all life and all love. And God asks in return the gift of an intimate relationship with you. Now, this is not what I call the soap opera approach to God, where we find someone walks into an empty chapel in the hospital and sits down and says, Oh God, I haven't bothered you for a long time, but if you do this one thing for me, I promise I won't bother you again. Or we have an understanding that God's like an insurance policy, sort of a backup plan if everything else fails. We work on our own strength first and in our own power, and then when that runs out, then we turn to God. That's not what God wants. It's not what he designed us for. But if that's what it isn't, a backup plan, some sort of an emergency, what might this intimate relationship with God look like? We hear an awful lot these days about the importance of living our chosen lifestyle. But this usually focuses on financial security, how big our house is and how often and where we travel overseas, what sort of car we drive. glorifying God was our chosen lifestyle. The Webster Dictionary defines lifestyle as a particular way of living, the way a person lives or a group of people live. Our lifestyle choices have been thrown into chaos repeatedly over the past 18 months with COVID. And again this week. How, as Christ followers, are we choosing to live through the pilgrimage of this pandemic? Our church lifestyle has been thrown into chaos over the past 18 months for several reasons. How, as Christ followers, are we choosing to live through the pilgrimage of this transition time? How are our lifestyle choices serving to bring glory to God? Or if we're truly honest, for what or whom do we currently live? For the glory of what or the glory of whom? I brought a prop today. This sits on my desk as a paperweight. And I often pick it up and look at it. It's beautiful. It's not real, by the way. I wish it was. <laughs> no, not really. Imagine yourself 
being like this, like a diamond with different facets. How would your life be different if you started to think of every facet, every facet of you as being for God's glory? How might you do your work today, whether that's paid work, volunteer work, housework or homework? How might you do it differently if you were doing it for the praise of God's glory? How might you choose to fill your time, utilise your energy or spend your money? What might your conversations be like? What would the balance be like between gratitude and grumbling? Paul talked quite a lot about this. He said in Corinthians, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. All. Do it all. Whatever you do for the glory of God. If worship is a lifestyle, no facet of our lives is exempt from the glory of God. Each facet throws light on the others and shows up the truth, the depth of the jewel. We don't keep any for ourselves. I don't white out one of them and say, no, no one's looking at that one. That's mine. We don't cover some of them up. We don't hide anything behind closed doors. You only see something this way. You don't see it this way. There's no secrets, no facade, no silence when it comes to God and his glory. Just transparent beauty. God is a jealous God. We don't like that word. But God is a jealous God in the sense that he's passionate for our full attention, for our admiration and for our affection, for our love. And God is the only being in the universe that can demand such loyalty. And it is right that he does so. All of our lives should reflect the greatness of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. But so often that level of worship and glorification is reserved for the holy moments, the spiritual parts of our life, such as church attendance. But in the grand scheme of our week, that's a very small amount of time. What about the rest? Worship is a lifestyle. If your worship is a lifestyle, it affects every part of you. It's not just something you do once a week or even once a day. It is you. Living for the praise of God's glory means putting God first in all times and in all ways. Every aspect of our life, every facet of our being. Are you using your eyes to constantly see more of his glory and to stand more in awe? 
Are you using your ears to be tuned in to the voice of Holy Spirit? Are you using your mind to comprehend the mysteries of God through the Bible? Are you tasting and seeing that God is good? Are you feeling that deep down strong affection and love deep in your bones? Does Jesus have your heart? Are you reaching out and extending God's grace to the world or keeping it for yourself? Is your day filled with glimpses of wow as you recognise and acknowledge the activity of God? Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? In Galatians 5, it lists these things as the evidence, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. But if worship is to become a lifestyle, it has to become automated, second nature. You shouldn't wake up in the morning and have to decide whether you'll read your Bible or not. It needs to be an automatic action. You shouldn't have to decide whether you'll love Jesus today or even remember him. It's automatic. It just becomes a habit. And when I use the words habit and automatic, I don't mean sort of mindless, boring, heartless action. I mean more like what Aristotle said. We are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. Therefore, to become a worshipper, we need to repeatedly embrace the fact that worship is a lifestyle. And that action needs to become as natural as breathing as putting on your shoes or your slippers, or brushing your teeth or eating your meals. Because it's of even higher importance. But the problem with the practicalities of doing all to the glory of God tends to make us focus on ourselves again. We rely on our own decision-making power as to whether it will happen or not. Simply put, it's hard. I'd much rather eat chocolate than broccoli. I'd rather sleep in than pray. I'd rather read a gripping novel than pick up my Bible. Resolutions aren't enough. A task list isn't enough. Putting it on the calendar isn't enough. We know that because we've ignored all those things plenty of times. The truth is, we make time for what we want to. There's always time for what is important to us. As Jesus reminds us again in our gospel today, 
Busyness is no excuse to ignore the most important relationship of all. So why not choose just one thing this week to begin training yourself to develop a worship habit and to live more fully into the reality that worship is a lifestyle. Enter more fully into a symbiotic relationship with God, the one for which we were created, the one for which he yearns more than anything. Let's begin today. Let's begin this week to live more fully to the praise of God's glory. The Lord be with you.